0: Good morning and happy Sunday. It's great to uh, be studying God's Word together. I hope that you're encouraged by our study. I've been very excited about looking at these Old Testament characters and seeing their faith, uh, seeing the Gospel in seed form, in partially expressed, and then more fully revealed in the New Testament. And so it's definitely been cool uh, understanding the roots of our faith. Last week we were looking at Abraham and how uh, God had called him to be a blessing To others, right? God blessed him in order to be a blessing. That God intended on uh, Abraham's family, that through his family, God would bless the families, the nations of the world. And we looked at this moment in which Abraham began to bless others by faith, in which he had financial prosperity. He didn't yet inhabit or possess the land in the way that God had promised, but he began to step out to bless people outside his own immediate household. And I just want to read that story a little bit and then we're going to move into the passages and the promises that God makes him immediately following. And I think that these are absolutely connected in which we begin to look at the idea of God having Abraham uh, count on his promises. So here we go. Let's let's reread a little bit in Genesis 13 verse 8 just to get the context of Abraham blessing someone else. Then Abraham said to Lot, his nephew, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And so that's what we had read last week. And we saw how Abraham was willing to open-handedly just offer to Lot whatever portion of land Lot desired. And Lot ends up choosing what absolutely looks like the better portion. He chooses the well-watered land that appeared to be like the garden of the Lord. It's compared to the garden of Eden. And Abraham is left with the leftovers. Now, Lot ends up in many ways regretting his choice. God was blessing Abram even in that moment. But notice this. So Abraham, and I'm going to keep calling him Abraham. That's what the New Testament calls him, even though his name had changed. Uh, Abraham perhaps would have been a little bit discouraged here. That he was you know, willing to part with something that visibly absolutely looked like a blessing and abundance. He might have felt a little bit of giver's remorse. And notice this in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him. And so, the moment that Abram had just surrendered this blessing to his nephew, he was willing to bless someone else by faith, that's the moment that God shows up and speaks to Abram in this this point. Right? God waited. God waited until after Abraham had already let Lot have the better land. Until after Abraham had already extended blessings. And then he reminds Abraham, the moment in which Abraham might have begun to have regret, he reminds him of these promises. And uh, so check out what God says as this verse continues. He says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever and so immediately upon God seeing Abraham walking out by faith in obedience being willing to be a blessing to other people God responds with a promise and he says lift up your eyes And so, I want us to think about the body language here. Abraham was likely looking down. Abraham was likely, to a degree, feeling a little bit discouraged and dejected. He may have been disappointed. And we know that, right, by faith, Abraham was being a blessing, wanting to please the Lord by faith, and God was pleased. And what's interesting is, in the moment in which Abraham perhaps was feeling disappointment... God was feeling joy and pleasure at the faith of his son, Abraham. God was encouraged about what Abraham was beginning to do in his life. That in a moment, uh, in a, a moment of testing in Abraham's life, while Abraham was a little bit disappointed, God experienced pleasure and joy because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so God ends up speaking of these promises. In fact, as far as uh, the pleasure that God has, right, it's often revealed, it's often in moments in which we are in a place that we have to express our faith. In which we might not be presently experiencing the promises that God has for us. Faith is something that pleased God. Faith is something that Jesus himself marveled at when he saw it on display. Faith is the thing that gets God excited. And faith is expressed in moments in which we might be less so. And so the Lord speaks, I think, out of pleasure and joy in what Abraham just did. And he says, Abraham, look up. Right? Look up. You're, you're kind of dejected. Look up. And let me remind you of these promises. And as far as us in the New Covenant, I want to point out that we, we haven't been promised this same land as Abraham. All right? We're not living in that land, and that's not necessarily our goal. That wasn't the mission that God gave his disciples, to go into the promised land, and live experiencing blessing and prosperity. No, no, no. Jesus sent us to go into all the world and to preach the good news, the gospel, baptizing the disciples that we make in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Like, that's our mission on the earth. But yet, at the same time, we are blessed and we look forward to an inheritance in Matthew 25:34, in one of the parables, Jesus speaks about the end, the judgment, in which he also judges and gives blessings to those who were of faith. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Okay, just because in this life we might not experience the fullness of the promises that God has, doesn't mean we need to be disappointed. Just because Abraham wasn't going to experience the land in the fullness in the way that God's promise is going to be expressed doesn't mean he has to be disappointed. He could look up and look forward to the future time in which God's promise came to fruition. And you and I, we too get to look forward to a kingdom that has been prepared for us. Our kingdom that we look forward to is not on this world. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. That's what he said the day he died to Pilate, right? If, If my kingdom were of this world, then those who follow me would be fighting. He said, but no, this physical, this material world is not everything that I'm concerned about here. But there is this hopeful kingdom that we get to look forward to because we've placed our faith and hope in Jesus. Let's see, back to Genesis verse 16. God continues speaking. And, and so once again, this is all right after Lot begins to walk away and step into what appeared to be the better land. And so now God says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And so God ends up speaking this promise to him, right? God had already in Genesis 12, when he called Abraham, he said that I'm going to make you great and make you a great nation. Okay, and now he's beginning to say and give details to how that's going to happen. He says, I'm going to make your offspring as innumerable as the dust of the earth. That God is beginning to give Abraham something to, to think about, something to ponder, something to do while he waits by faith for the promise. And so, God says this to Abraham. He says this to a man who is a childless old man with a wife who is barren and unable to bear children. And God isn't saying this to be cruel. He's telling this to Abraham to encourage him to have him experience hope while he waits that he through faith and patience will inherit the promises now what's interesting is once again we already know Abraham was looking down and God told him to look up and then he and then he kind of points to the dust that he was looking at again and he says listen next time you look down you are going to be reminded of my promises and he compares it to right the the dust of the earth. He says, "Could you count that, Abraham?" He's like, like, are, is it even worth trying to begin to count the dust of the earth, right, Abraham? You know, like kind of looking down, kicking kicking the ground with his feet, and just like. Like, I don't know, like, I can't, like, it's not worth me wasting my time counting. It's also not worth you wasting your time worrying, Abraham. God will fulfill his promise. And God says, just like you wouldn't even be able to count all of that dust, so will it be that your children will not be able to be counted. That God is speaking of the offspring of Abraham. That he's going to have an abundance of children, this man who has none. This woman, Sarah, who is childless. And he says, your children will be just as innumerable as the dust of the earth. As far as where Abraham's going to get these children, we, we don't know. He doesn't know. At this point, God just gives him some way of reminder regarding counting. Regarding counting on this future blessing that God is going to pour out in his life. And God gives him this idea in the middle of him feeling a little bit discouraged. Now, as far as counting the offspring of Abraham, generations later, when God begins to, when the when the fullness of time had come, God sends His Son into the world through the family of Abraham. And it's actually partly entwined in God's sovereign plan and in his goals for bringing about the redemption of humanity is this idea of counting the children of Abraham. In Luke chapter 2, it says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. A census, a counting of the people which included the nation of Israel, the the Jews who were dwelling in the promised land, but yet were not ruling in it. They were under the authority of the Roman Empire. And in the midst of this, this goal to try to count, including the people of God, the family and descendants of Abraham, right? God is working to fulfill his promise. This was the first registration when uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. David, who is also a descendant of Abraham. Okay. Okay. he, he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And so I just want to point out, like a little side story, that God worked through even the decrees of a secular pagan ruler That God was using that in order to bring about his plan for salvation that resulted in Joseph and Mary and Jesus being in the right place at the right time. That Jesus was born in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem, in which the Messiah was prophesied to be born. And so it's just neat that God fulfilled the promise to Abraham to bless the families and the nations of the world through the Savior. In the midst of this moment regarding the counting of his offspring. all right, verse 17, back to Genesis. God's still speaking. And now notice this, once again, think about the body language. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And so, in this moment, right, God's speaking to Abram. He says, arise. So he first said, look up. And now he's saying, stand up and walk. He's, he's, te- he's recognizing, like, I, I just want to think about where, what was Abraham's posture after he blessed Lot? He was sitting down and looking down. That was kind of what he was thinking. Like, he's like, well, like, I might have just given away the very thing that God had promised me. Like, I, I don't have any kids. I don't see any fulfillment of this promise. Like... He he might have started to become discouraged and God says, look up, look around. Let me tell you about my plans for you. I'm going to give your offspring this land. Your offspring will be as uncountable, as innumerable, as immeasurable as the dust of the earth. And he says, now stand up, get up, right? Is what he's saying to Abraham. He's now walk, go walk that land that I'm promising to give to your offspring I I want you to go experience that land and think about that in the future, in future generations, your offspring will be dwelling here. And so that is absolutely a faith walk. Abraham doesn't own that land. Abraham only has this hope of this future promise that God had given him. And yet God wants him to walk by faith. Right? The, the, the just will walk by faith. God has Abraham walk out and in and among the land to, to experience it, to kind of begin to get in his own imagination the idea of one day God's going to bless my descendants with this land. One day God is going to bless the families of the earth through my family. Right, like God's giving him a task in which he has an awful lot of time to begin to think about and count on the promises that God has made. And so, verse 18, Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. And so, God uh, continues to pour out blessings on Abram. And Abraham right, is continuing to worship and have relationship with God because, as we did very early on in this series, we pointed out that Abraham was a, a friend of God. And so he worships God early on in his life. He worships God before he experiences the promises and he'll worship God after he experiences the promises in his life. That Abraham continues to have relationship with he'll, God. He'll keep worshiping God after the moments he really screws up badly. All right, Like Abraham is going to screw up horribly. But God will still continue to invest in him in friendship and love. And God will still speak promises and blessing over his life. And, and Abraham will reciprocate at times by faith in that relationship. Now, as far as Abraham now walking and moving throughout this land, what I want to point out, we'll jump back to Hebrews 11, which is the main supporting text for this whole series, Hall of Faith. That's, that's that text, that passage there that we're looking at. And, and Joe had preached on this when we'd first started our mini series on Abraham. Uh, Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13, speaking of Abraham and his, some of his offspring. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them. From afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Right? Like he's walking around this land that isn't his, believing one day it will be belonging to his offspring. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And so Abraham is now moving and living and dwelling in this land that is promised to him and his offspring. And while he's there, right, he, he has this hope of God one day fulfilling this promise. Whenever he's looking down and feeling dejected, he sees the dust and he's reminded of God's goodness. Whenever he looks up, he sees this land that he's an exile and a foreigner and a stranger in. But he knows one day God's going to give this to my kids, right? That Abraham is trusting and hoping in the midst of this. Let's take, go back to Genesis, but now jump to Genesis 15. And, and God is going to once again speak promise and encouragement to Abraham. Genesis 15 verse 1 after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram I skipped a whole chapter you can go back and read it all right the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision fear not Abram I am your shield your reward shall be very great but Abraham said "O Lord God what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you behold, you have given me no offspring, and I, and a member of my household will be my heir. All right, that that time passes and God shows up and speaks to Abram, and Abram's discouraged. He says, "Lord, what are you going to give me that's going to actually end up with my offspring? It's going to end up with Eliezer. A member of my household, right? A servant that works for me. Like you, I don't have any kids. I'm childless, God. Even if you gave me good things, how is it going to end up with these kids that don't exist? Right? How is this going to happen? Behold, you've given me no offspring. Right? And so Abraham states what is perhaps his doubt, or maybe he's trying to get some clarity. He's he's trying to figure out like, God, how are you going to do this? Time is passing, you've given me this promise, and I I don't know when, like I know, okay, it's going to be like the dust, but I don't have any kids. Lord, when is this going to happen? How is this going to happen, is what he's beginning to think. He's, He's beginning to consider, like, I continue childless. I don't even have a fraction of what you're promising. I don't even have the necessary components. Right? Other people might even have kids, but they don't have the certainty that their descendants are going to somehow flourish and be blessed, that their descendants are going to inhabit land. Abraham doesn't even have that. Abraham doesn't have any kids in which he has this hope of God right, fulfilling these promises. He's, he's got these reminders in which God has, hey, Abraham, count the dust. right? Count the dust. And while you're doing that, Think about how I'm going to fulfill this promise. Okay, Uh, let's see. What I want us to think about here is that this question that Abraham asks, like, how are you going to do this, is an okay question. It's probably out of a little bit of discouragement. It may not be in faith, but God is still open to these kinds of questions. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, after the angel visits Mary and tells her that she's going to have Jesus as a baby, Mary responds, Luke chapter 134, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? Okay, like she understands, like, the way things work. And she she says, God, how, how am I going to have this son? Like, we're missing a necessary component here. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. The son of God. And so what I want to point out is that, that Mary had a similar question to Abraham. okay, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. God is open to these sorts of questions, to this sort of dialogue. right? God is at times willing to answer the questions. Other times he'll leave them unanswered. And we must continue by faith. But I just want to point out these questions with God are allowed in our friendship and relationship with him at times when when we might be unsure as to how God's going to fulfill his promise, we're allowed allowed to talk to God about it. That's okay. Okay? We may not immediately get the answer we desire, but we are allowed to ask, and we are allowed to seek. And so, uh, Abraham asked that question, like, God, what are you going to give me that's going to actually end up with any kids? I'm childless. And so, back in Genesis 15, verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, right? So he's like, hey, Abraham, you're in a tent. Let's. let's, You're stuck in your little box, in your little world, in your little tent. Step outside. Let me show you how powerful and how mighty I am. Let me show you some of my divine nature and attributes in the things that I've made. And so he walks out. He takes Abraham outside and he says, look toward heaven. Right, similar to him saying, "Look up, Abraham." Right? You're de- down, dejected, looking at the dust, sitting down, discouraged. Look up. And now he's doing it again. "Abraham, get outside. Look at the heavens." Okay? He says, "Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them," then he said to him, "So shall your offspring be." And Abraham verse 6. This is so wonderful. And he believed the Lord that God is making these extravagant promises to Abraham when Abraham does not yet have the necessary components and God is reminding Abraham, look up. All right. Or when you see the dust, count the dust, look up to the heavens. When you see the stars, count those stars for me, Abraham, I'll wait. Right. And, and, and he's like, your offspring are going to be like that. When it comes to countability, that's what your offspring will be like. And Abraham believes the Lord. Verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, that is, counted it to him as righteousness. Right? This is the pivotal verse. This is the moment in which all of these concepts in the hall of faith are being drawn from. Right? That Abraham believed God... And it was counted, it was commended, it was credited to him as righteousness. This is this moment, right? And God says to Abraham, If you are able to number them, this promise is further expressed as we discover how many more stars there actually are. In fact, like just this week in Australia, they had a series of telescopes, an array of telescopes, discover millions of galaxies. In 300 hours, like there's like there's so many out there, galaxies filled with stars in them. right? And, and so th- this number is still ridiculously immeasurable. right? We have estimates for it. We have estimates for the dust of the Earth. But God wants Abraham to take time to begin to ponder these things that as he's counting, he's like, "Wait a minute, this is ridiculous. I can't count this." And yet God wants me to think about how uncountable this is and use that as the comparison to, the, to how abundant his blessings are going to be towards me. Abraham believed the Lord and God counted him, counted his belief as righteousness. And so in these moments in which Abraham is counting the dust, when Abraham is counting the stars, God is counting Faith as righteousness. When God looks before him and he sees Abraham, he says, That is one righteous man that I see. That, that Abraham, upon believing the Lord, that's what God is looking for. That is what God is pleased with. And God credits Abraham as being righteous. Right? Hebrews 11. Verses one to two. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, For by it the people of old received their, condom, their commendation. <laughs> not condemnation. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But by faith, the people of old, right by believing God, by trusting what He said, the people of old are commended, are credited, are counted as righteous. Last week we were talking about the blessings that God pours out in Abraham and that he wants him to be a blessing to others and eventually the families of the earth will be blessed. And and right now we're talking about this idea of counting, that Abraham's counting the dust and the stars and God counts Abraham as righteous. But there's something that God doesn't count in Abraham's life and it's linked to this idea of blessing. Psalm 32, we've read this before, but think about the context of how it connects these ideas of blessing and counting. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That we are blessed, because God doesn't count iniquity anymore. Jesus paid that penalty for us. He doesn't keep track. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 that love keeps no record of wrongs. And so, while God counts us as righteous for believing him, he doesn't count our iniquity. And we are blessed because of it. And so, Actually, uh, as far as, since we're in Hebrews 11, skip on down uh, to verse 12. And I know we haven't fully exposed or exposited all this text just yet. But I just want to point out, as far as Abraham having innumerable descendants, this is what Hebrews 11 says. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Okay, that, that the concept that God was working with was not a fixed number, but it, it's linked to this idea of immeasurability and innumerability. The, the fact that, like, you couldn't count it if you wanted to. And, and, and so Abraham ends up experiencing, his descendants experience the fulfillment of God's promise, right? That, that in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is reflecting like, hey, remember God was telling Abraham this over and over again and reminding him, he's like, count the dirt, count the stars, Abraham. This is what it's going to be like. You and I, we get to, we have the benefit of the author of Hebrews, they also living after Abraham's life, generations later, being like, and it happened. It happened. We can rejoice now because it happened. Look at God kept His promise even generations later. His offspring are abundant. God is blessing Abraham and his descendants. Right? God is counting belief in him, faith in him, as righteousness. He continues to do that. And we see that fully expressed in the life of Jesus. We see that fully expressed in the life of Jesus. In fact, we don't have the full privilege because we haven't seen God's full fruition in the end yet to come, right? We're looking back and we see Him, him God, keeping His promise to Abraham, but there's still yet to be promises that are delivered upon. In fact, in Hebrews uh, Revelation, there we go, Revelation seven, John gets a vision of what is yet to come, and this is his revelation of the spiritual realm in which he's seeing. God's God's fulfillment, God's completion, God's intent for salvation and redemption of humanity on display. And in Revelation 7:9 it's he says, "After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That one day, if we place our faith in Jesus, if we place our trust in the Lamb who came to take away the sins of the world, we will be like children of Abraham. He will be our father in the faith who was counted as righteous, that we will experience salvation because of our trust in the lamb that died for us, that we will be counted or I guess not counted in that multitude of people from many tribes and tongues and nations that are worshiping the Lord for his salvation that he's offered freely to us that there is yet to be a further expression and fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. So when Abraham is counting the dirt and the stars, he didn't see any of it yet. We get to look back and see some of it fulfilled, and we get to look forward with hope, with faith, that one day this is what it's going to look like, that God has already blessed the families and the nations of the earth through Jesus, this descendant of Abraham, and that that will be brought to further expression as multitudes that cannot be counted are are found before the throne of God, worshiping Him for who He is and what He's done. This is what God invites us to. We can be a part Of this same story, we can be a part of God fulfilling his promise to Abraham as we become children of Abraham. And we'll have to explore that concept in the future. That when it comes to counting, the the multitudes in the heavens are immeasurable, uncountable, innumerable, just as God told Abraham. And in fact, like there are things that God wants us to dwell on now that are likewise immeasurable. In Hebrews 1 3, we talked about that God has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And if we skip down to verse 19, it says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That God is working immeasurable power toward us when we place our trust in the one that he raised. From the dead, that there's this immeasurable power, this immeasurable working in us done by our Father because of what Jesus did. In Ephesians 2, it talks about how we used to live before we became children of God. And then in verse four, it picks up, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, check this, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. As far as things that are innumerable and immeasurable, one of those things is the grace that God shows us in Jesus, right? So, so that in the coming ages, this is what's going to happen for all of eternity. God's grace will be on display towards you. That's what God is going to be celebrating and rejoicing so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And so if we tried to count the, the grace that God has, we couldn't. If we tried to measure the, the length and width and depth and, and, and calculate the volume of God's grace and kindness that has been on display already in Christ and will continue to be on display for the coming ages, we couldn't. It's immeasurable. And God wants us to think about that. God wants us to be encouraged as we rejoice in what he's done for us that we did not earn, that we did not deserve. We simply, like Abraham, believed. And as a result, we were counted as righteous. We didn't deserve it. But His mercy is being poured out on us. We were His enemies, and yet He's showing us kindness. We were of these foreign nations of the world, and yet God, from all the way back in the beginning, had been planning on finding a way to bless the families of the earth through the descendants of Abraham. And it's done so in Christ. And just like Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteous, we believe in, the Je- in Jesus, the Lamb of God, and we're credited righteousness. We're gifted and granted His grace and salvation, and that grace is immeasurable, it's innumerable, but that grace is something that we can count on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We thank you that you seek us out When we were not looking for you, that God, you pursue us and you desire for us all to be a part of your family. I thank you, Lord, that it's not on the basis of our works, but it's on the basis of what you have already done, the work that you have already finished and completed on the cross in which you took on yourself, the penalty for our sins, that Jesus, you bore our sin on your back so that we could be forgiven, that we could be gifted righteousness. Lord, I recognize that all of us at times experience discouragement, uh, that we are at times dejected. But Lord, you call us to be like Abraham, to believe you in those moments, to think upon the immeasurable, innumerable, uncountable blessings that you've poured out in our lives that we would think about the fulfillment of promises that you've already given others and that we can know for certain that the promises that we have yet to experience in this life will be brought to fruition. They will come about. And that, Lord, we by faith can count on You. And so, Lord, we do not boast in ourselves or our own works, but we boast in You and the immeasurable riches of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take care.